0: Our sermon text today, as we continue in our sermon series on the Psalms, is Psalm 124. If you are able, would you, out of respect for God's Word, now please rise as I read this to you. Psalm 124, it is the inspired Word of God. If it had not been the Lord who was on your side, let Israel now say... If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive and their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. And As you are, would you pray with me? Lord God, may your word go forth with power this morning as we look to it. May you speak to us loudly, clearly, directly. May you convict us of our sin and cause us to turn to you. May you help us to see your grace and worship before your glory. May we know you better and love you more because of this time today we ask it in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, Amen. Well, my family, uh, as most of you know, live grew, live live here, but the rest of our family lives far, far away, right? Either in St. Louis, where most of my family lives, or in Dallas, where Aaron's parents live. And so, uh, most of our vacations—I talked about vacations earlier—are uh, are trips to go visit family. Historically. Um, and especially uh, at holiday time, we'll go. And so f- at Christmas, often what we will do is we'll celebrate Christmas Eve here, at uh, Christmas Eve service, and then on Christmas Day, we'll get in the car and we'll drive. We'll drive to go visit family, and and as we're driving, we routinely listen to many of the same songs year after year. We've got a certain, certain playlist of sorts that that is going to be heard in the car if you're with us. Uh, Harry Connick's Christmas album will be played if you're in the car. You'll hear that. That is part of our regular playlist. uh, Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb of God album will will be played. You'll hear that. There's a number of others. There is a certain playlist of sorts that is routine year after year after year as we go on this holiday journey people of israel were no different when they went on a holiday journey or a holy day journey they had a certain playlist Uh, they didn't listen to it on cds or on mp3s of course they sang the songs themselves and those songs that they would sing when they were headed to jerusalem for a holy festival on one of the holy days would have been psalms 120 to 134 The Psalms that are called the Songs of Ascent. So-called because they were sung as the people went up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which was on top of a hill, of course. They would approach it and go up to Jerusalem and these songs would be sung by the people. These pilgrim songs that were sung as they came to these holy feasts. And these songs were, were not unrealistic about the world that surrounded them. Right? Sometimes we can get kind of sappy and sentimental in our songs, can't we? Uh, sometimes, especially maybe with our Christmas songs, we can do that. Those holiday songs can can kind of pretend that the world is not quite as hard as it actually is. But the Psalms of Ascent did no such thing. They actually want to be very clear about how broken and fallen and sinful and hard the world is. They recognize that that as uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson put it, nature is red in tooth and claw. And if we are left to our own nature, we indeed will experience that acutely. Psalm 124 is one such psalm that speaks to such a condition. And it reminds us of certain things. The first thing that it reminds us of is a realization that of danger. If you have sermon notes there, you'll see on the outline, that's the first point, a realization of danger. There are bad things, really bad things, that happen in our world. We know this. We watch the evening news. We we realize that bad things happen around us all the time. Often we might even find that the world seems To be against us verse 2 says if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us and it's never fun is it to have people rise up against you right I I mean I'm like most of you I like it when people like me right I like it when people uh, support me when people pat me on the back and tell me I've done a good job and 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 they're my friend and my buddy and we get along I, I enjoy that that's more fun than having somebody come against you having somebody uh, do battle with you whether that battle is uh, uh, just a philosophical battle perhaps or as more likely is the case here a physical battle right we're left to wonder what exactly is the historical reference here well in, in, in most of the commentators think that it stems from 2nd Samuel verse 5 where David is ascended to the throne and the enemies of God see it as an opportunity with this fledgling king now in power, having, having taken over for Saul who had once ruled with great might, they, they might have a chance now to step in and to, to conquer the people of God, to see that the people of God might be no more. Right, and we read in 2 Samuel 5 that when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. David heard of it. and Went down to the stronghold. Right, that makes sense. He heard that the bad guys were coming for him. He, He retreated to his fortress, to his stronghold, to his place of protection. And now the Philistines had come and they'd spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired to the Lord, inquired of the Lord, which is always a, a good plan. He says, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal, Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal Perazim, which means the Lord of breaking through, right? And so we read here in verse 3 of today's text, he says that, that if it had not been for the Lord when these people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. And he say, swallowed us up alive, right? Is he talking about some giant beast here? kind of? And, and, and that's probably not the metaphor he's going for here, I don't think. Although perhaps it could be. I think the metaphor that he's going for is more of an aquatic metaphor. And I say that because we look at the things that he says in the next couple verses after that. Then the flood would have swept us away the torrent would have gone over us then over us would have gone the raging waters I think all all of these metaphors are saying the same thing over and over and over again right when he says talks about being swallowed up it's like by by floodwaters might swallow us up right and then all of the other metaphors obviously follow through that uh, building on that same metaphor right and so in second Samuel we read that the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood so he's saying that that in essence what has happened is is that, that they would have overflowed us like flooding waters but the lord instead has flooded them he has turned the tables on my enemies as it will we need to remember what what water w- referred to and what, what it looked like and how it was dealt with in their context right I, we've largely domesticated water haven't we right we've we've got swimming pools you know and and we've got we've got a sink a faucet you know we turn it on water is pretty pretty domesticated in our world but in that context we have got to realize that that their experience of water was often fraught with danger right they would have torrential storms at certain times of year that would come and and it would at times just wash away things right it would cause flash flooding they they would be fishermen who would go out on the waters of, uh, of the sea of galilee and storms would come up and the waves would toss and, and 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 blow them about and they would be at the at the mercy of those wind and waves they, they would see this and, and floods would be dangerous this is the experience that they had and this is what they thought of when they talked about waters and so we see that scripture often talks of this way of water psalm 69 save me O god for the waters have come up to my neck i sink a deep mire where there is no foothold i have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me let not the flood sweep over me or the dark deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me right this is the kind of language that we find in scriptures not just in the old testament either in the new testament what is it that jesus talks about in matthew 7 when he talks to the man who who builds his house on the sand right what what is the problem that faces him the rains come and the, the waves come and they wash away the house right because because water was dangerous there's many other examples in scriptures that we could go to but all of them combined is why in Revelation 21 when John gives this vision of the great and glorious day when Christ returns and sets all things to right he he says that on that day what he saw was a new heaven and a new earth for the first earth, the uh, first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more, right? I don't think he's talking about hydrological principles here. He's talking about the, the chaos and the danger and the, the torment and the worry and the fear that are all represented in the sea are gone. They're gone and We no longer will have to deal with any of those. I do think that in the new heavens and the new earth, you'll still be able to go for a swim. You'll still be able to take a sailboat ride, right? He's not talking about that. He's talking about these other fearful truths, right? And consider the history of God's people, right? Perhaps the most foundational experience of their history is the Exodus, right and and what is the the final deliverance of the exodus it is when when the people were stuck between the armies of the enemy and the sea they were stuck they were hemmed in there was nowhere to go right either the enemy would swallow them up or the sea would swallow them up they had no other place to turn but they turned to the lord they turned to the Lord. He made a way for them. He, he held back the waters of the sea that they might walk through it, that they might find safe passage. And then when the armies chased after them, the water crashed down on them and swept away the enemy, of course. right? That's foundational to the history of the people of Israel. Or, or perhaps we could go back to Noah, of course, right? All the way back to Genesis here. We remember that the enemies of God, which at that point was literally everyone in the world, and they were rebelling against him. And God delivered Noah, how, through the floodwaters again, which swept people away when they rose up against God. right god delivers by his hand from the sweeping waters of destruction noah in this boat that he's he has him encapsulated and safe and sound and he carries him away from this judgment so so we have this experience of david we have this experience of moses we have this experience of noah and and we draw upon all three of these experiences we we draw upon all of them and and more and, and we realize that, that when we look to David, we look to Moses, and we look to Noah, that, that the dangers that we face in our world are nothing new, right? They're, they're the same kind of dangers the people of God have faced uh, for all of time. And they're the same kind of dangers they will, that we will continue to face, right? They are very real dangers, one commentator puts it this way he says the power of the wicked is sometimes tremendous and their violence frightful they have things very much their own way and their own way is very malignant sin death and hell men and devils do sometimes strangely combine and for a while god seems to let them alone right that's the the key word there, there's one word that I hope you caught in that last phrase. That that was the key word. He seems to let them alone. Right? It it seems like it, and oftentimes it does, does it not? When we look at the pain and suffering in our world, it seems that God is absent. It seems that he's not paying attention. It seems that he has lost control of things, but we know that this is not the case. Right? Because we look back at the history and we know that he has in the past saved his people right that's what we saw in verse 3 it says, says says that they would have swallowed us up alive right they they would have right if not for the lord right they would have swallowed us up alive just like like death or hades is said to swallow us up right this is how how death works in in, in the scriptures it talks of swallowing us up and so to the instruments of death those who work on its behalf are are said to to try to swallow us up or they would have swallowed us up but the people of god can recall and recite that they would have indeed been swallowed up by death and its instruments would it not have been for the lord as luther put it in a mighty fortress is our god did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing we're not the right man on our side the man of god's own choosing right because christ jesus is the one who has delivered us and that's our second point we have not just a realization of danger we also have a record of deliverance that's the second point, a record of deliverance. And what a wonderful record that is to be able to look back upon. We, we can see how God has delivered His people throughout time. right Verse six tells us, "Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. right There was very real physical danger. there was very real earthly speaking a very real possibility that they would have been swallowed alive by death but this has not happened and for this very reason that the lord is at work providing salvation for them he has not given them as prey to the teeth of their enemies right the powers of the enemy are very real and they're very great but the powers of our god are even greater right in our unison scripture reading we said finally be strong how be strong in the lord and in the strength of his might right it's it's his strength that we need to be strong in not in our own strength right Uh, his strength is always greater than the powers of this world there will always be greater We need never worry that any created thing will be of greater power than the creator, right? He is the one who has made all things, right? Psalm 121, we said at the beginning of the service, I lift up my eyes to the hill for where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. If there is something in heaven and earth, it is there because the Lord has made it. And if it is something that the Lord has made, then he is more powerful than it. So we need never fear. If we are strong in the Lord, we need never fear that the strength of that other person, place, or thing is greater than the strength that is in us. William Plummer says, If the safety of the righteous depended on appearances or on their inherent energies, or on the weakness or fewness of their adversaries they would all perish that is absolutely right right because i don't have the strength to to overwhelm those enemies that come against me but in god's almightiness is the defense of all his saints his grace is all sufficient he could put a bridle in the mouth or a hook in the nose of the fiercest he that made the red sea walls that holds the water of the ocean in the hollow of his hand can control the progress of ungodly men blessed is he who is not afraid of the wicked consider the faith of shadrach meshach and abednego right remember remember the perspective that they took when when nebuchadnezzar had had created this golden image and and they were told that they needed to bow before it and worship it they said no i'm not going to do it and he said well but but if you don't do it you're going to go into the fiery furnace so so bow before the image they they said no and 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 he said no i really mean it guys if you don't bow before it, you're going in the fiery furnace you don't seem to understand and they said no we understand right they said we understand in fact the the thing they said was this they said our god whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand O king They had every confidence that God was going to deliver them. I've always found this next line to be the most amazing part. He says, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. You see what he says? He says, even if it's not the will of God for us to be saved, we're confident he's going to pluck us out of the fire. We're confident of that. But if it's the will of the Lord for us to be turned to charcoal, and so be it. We trust the Lord anyway. Because he is better, and he is stronger, and he is wiser. You see, they knew that God is always the smartest person in the room. Right? You know, we, we might not understand. It might not make sense to us. We might say, Lord, what are you doing here? But we can trust him because he is the most powerful. He is the most loving and he is the most wise. That's who he is. So we we need never be fearful. We can always trust in him as God's people. We, we must remember that when we face the opposition, that that the battle is ultimately not between us and the world. It is between him and the world, right? It is the Lord's battle. It does not mean that we should be foolish about it. It does not mean that that we should, should just uh, well, I think of the Lord, right? When it Jesus Christ, when he was tempted by Satan, he took him up to the pinnacle of the temple and said, you know, go ahead and throw yourself off the, the temple, right? Because you know, you're, you know that God's going to send his angels, they're going to catch you, you know, you know that to be true. What did Jesus say, so the scriptures say, do not put the Lord your God to the test, right? It doesn't mean that we should be stupid about it or we should be foolish about it. But it does mean that we can trust him. We can depend upon him. Right? And we can know that what we said before in Ephesians 6 is true we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, right? it is a spiritual battle that we are in and greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world alright, so so Satan might have his cunning schemes. He might have his plans and how he's going to do it. He might set all kinds of traps for us. But as verse 7 says, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the followers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Right? And, 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 and were the Lord not on our side, we would have been entrapped. We would have been caught. We would have never escaped. Right? What, what is it that Adam's sin in the garden earned for us but death? Right? The Lord told Adam, the day you you, you eat of it, right. that, that forbidden fruit, You will surely die, right? We shared in that sin. We deserve that. The wages of sin is death. But what is the promise of God, right? Isaiah 25 says he will swallow up death forever. Instead of death swallowing us, God swallows death, right? Instead of us dying, it is death that dies. And when did that happen? But on, on that first Easter morn, right? When When Jesus rose from the dead, having conquered death, having conquered sin, having conquered Satan, and having won the victory that is for us and for our salvation. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's the truth. If you trust in him, if you know that you cannot save yourself but that that he has saved you, if you know that you cannot defeat the enemies but he has defeated the enemy, if you know that you cannot defeat death but he has defeated death and you can trust in him if you do then you shall have salvation. You will have forgiveness. You will have eternal fellowship with Christ Jesus our Lord and what a blessing that is. Trust in him today and know that but it's not just fire insurance right it's not just to get you out of hell and send you to heaven right it is for today it changes the way we live our lives today right and so we need to preach the gospel to ourselves we need to remind ourselves even those of us who have known it our whole lives even those who have who have loved the lord our whole lives we need to remind ourselves of its truth right calvin put it this way he said as long as we're in danger our fear is great but no sooner than we are delivered then we lessen the greatness of our calamity and satan deceiving us by this artifice leads us to obscure the grace of god he does it doesn't he? right right we we're saved and we're so thankful and then kind of we get removed from that a little bit we move on we move on and we kind of forget how great our sin is we forget how how dreadfully terrible our straits were but then he brings it to mind. Here is where your sin was. Here is the death that you deserved. Right? We need to have it in the forefront of our mind. We, we need to not forget about it. As I've often said, we can only understand the grace of God to the degree that we understand our own sin. Right? We need to realize that we're not basically good people. Right? We are sinners and deserving of judgment. so when we come to that knowledge when we come to that truth and we keep it in front of ourselves and we remember it and and recall it it will change the way we live right charles wesley in in his hymn and can it be put it this way he says my chains fell off my heart was free i rose went forth and followed thee right that there's two parts to that right there's the being set free but then there's the following jesus part right, going where he leads us and following him. And so that's, that's the third point here. We've got a realization of danger, a record of deliverance, but finally a result of devotion, right? We should be devoted to the Lord. Now, I could have said a result of worship, but that doesn't work, of course, because worship doesn't start with the letter D, right? And all the other ones started with D, right? You know, but, but there's another reason I didn't say worship. It's because of this. I think often when we talk about worship, We think well that's what we're doing right now right we're we're here to worship for this one hour but i don't want this to be limited to one hour a week right it's not just something we do on sunday mornings i i want this to be not just an hour of devotion or an hour of worship this should be a, a lifetime of devotion because that's that's commensurate with what the lord has has done for us right If we realize how greatly we've been saved right they remember they 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 sang these hymns while they're on their their way to the Holy Feast so indeed there is a a corporate worship aspect to it right if they had if verse 1 if it had not been the Lord who was on our side let Israel now say right it's literally a call to worship right here right they say let Israel now say he's he's calling them to worship let them now say if it had not been the Lord who was on our side right and then in verse 6 blessed be the lord who has not given us his prey to their teeth he's glorifying god he's he's worshiping god he's praising god he's recalling what he has done and proclaiming his praises and then in verse 8 our help is in the name of the lord who made heaven and earth Right, it echoes the sentiment of the 20th psalm which says some trust in chariots and some in horses but we trust in the name of the lord our god that name is so important when we talk about name i'm not just talking about the sound of his name i'm not just talking about you know the fact that he has this appellation that is no we're talking about the name the lord right the yahweh the covenant god the the person that he is, the God that he is, the identity that he is. We're talking about all that God is when we talk about his name. He is also the one who made heaven and earth, not just a a tribal deity, not just a a deity who's over, you know, a, a little tiny group of people, but the God of all. He's created all things, right? And he is a God who fights for his people. What a blessing, right? In fact, when we say in verse 1 that, that he is on our side, right? If the Lord had not been on our side, it's, it's etymologically, not just conceptually, but actually the words are, are connected. It, it's connected to the, the Hebrew word Emmanuel, right? Which we remember from Christmas time means God with us, right? And you can see how if God were not on our side, if God were not with us is what it literally means, right? But he is, he is God with us. And he has shown us this through the person of Christ Jesus, right? You remember last week in, in, uh, in uh, Romans 8, 31, I mentioned that what then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so true that is. But how can we know that he's for us? How can we be sure that he is for us? Well, it's because of what we see in the very next verse, verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things right if he's given us his very son how could we ever doubt that he is for us if he has made that great sacrifice how could we ever doubt that he is for us right so the lord calls us to to corporate worship and and to private worship and and to To remember because he knows we forget these things he knows we have a short memory we're prone to forgetfulness so he says things like build that altar of remembrance he says things like celebrate these feasts he says do this in remembrance of me right in a few weeks we're going to celebrate the anniversary of the founding of our nation right And and as we do so, flags will wave and parades will be held and songs will be sung and and fireworks will fill up the night sky and and we will do all of this, uh, you know, that we do every year, time and time and time again, so that we might be reminded of this great victory that was won on our behalf nearly 250 years ago, that we might have freedom. We celebrate these things to remind us of this fact. But but we also gather every Sunday, don't we? We gather every Sunday, and we we sing songs, and we, we remember truths, and we are reminded of a victory that has been won for us. We celebrate that victory, and we rejoice in the freedom that was won for us. It's not a geopolitical freedom. No, it's a freedom from sin and from Satan and from death. And so here we live our lives in light of that truth that we remind ourselves of, right? We need to remember the sinfulness that we bring to the table. We need to remember the the deliverance that God has given us. Matthew Henry says, Let Israel say that there was but a step between them and death. The more desperate the disease appears, The more does the skill of the physician appear in the cure right we've taken our children to many doctors over 23 plus years as parents now we've taken them to pediatricians and to dentists and to orthopedists and uh, dermatologists and orthodontists and all kinds of different doctors So many that that there are some of those doctors that I just don't even remember their names, right? But then there's Dr. Anzarike. I don't think I'll ever forget Dr. Anzarike's name. Because as much as I appreciate all that those other doctors have done, Dr. Anzarike is the only one that I've wrapped my arms around and wept tears of joy as I hugged. Right, because she was the oncologist that realized Jack had leukemia when all the other doctors thought he had something else. And she's the one who oversaw his care when he was fighting this deadly disease. And she's the one who was able to bring him, in an earthly sense, <laughs> in some ways out of death and into life. And so my gratitude is is unspeakable right and so it should be with the lord right so it should be with the lord that's that's what this psalm is trying to do for us it's trying to help us see the danger and how real it was and the deliverance and how great it was and the devotion and how great it needs to be may that be the way it is in your life and in mine you can always look to the cross And no matter how weird things seem, no matter how crazy things seem, and no matter matter how much we don't understand what God is doing or why he is doing it that way, we can trust him. We can depend upon him. And we can worship him. Amen. Our Lord, we pray now that you would help us to truly worship you in all of life. May we not consider our circumstances as the driving focus of our attitude toward you, but may we remember your goodness and all you have done for us. And May we respond in kind with worship and praise, glorifying you forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.